0: Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo.
1: The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests.
0: welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host Phil Llewellyn. It's a pleasure to have you with us as we once again explore the world of sports coaching and rugby. Three new coaches join me this week so ladies if you'd like to introduce yourselves, where you are from and your current role.
2: Hi I'm Anastasia Long and I'm currently Director of Rugby at Old Rutlicians Rugby Club in South West London and I'm also a teacher of rugby
3: and games at Trinity School in Croydon. Hi, I'm Maria, Maria Crawford, so I've just finished my first season with Loughborough University women's rugby team um, and I've I'm, I'm also just accepted a role at Litchfield Ladies Rugby Club as well.
1: Hi, I'm Jess Bunyard, I'm Director of Women and Girls Rugby at Huddersfield YMCA Rugby Club where I'm also the rugby development officer and we've just come off the back of a very successful season for Huddersfield University women's team
0: superb uh, real range and breadth of uh, roles and experience here so i uh, can't wait to get stuck into stuff i'm going to hit you up with my uh, terrible joke for the week so what is a cowboy's favorite time of day 10 to 10 to 10 to ten, 10 10 to 10 to 10 10 10 10 to 10, to ten, 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 ten. ten, 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 ten. superb not a laugh in the room Love it. I'm going to say you're all on mute. That's the problem. So hopefully everyone is up to date with the format now. We'll get straight into discussion, but don't forget to check out the blurb for links to all the content we discuss. So Anastasia, we are coming across to you first. What was your content you picked up this week?
2: So I've had a lot of conversations and I've tried to educate myself as much as possible um, around inclusion and diversity. Uh, Obviously, a lot going on in the news at the moment about the Black Lives Matter movement and also because of lockdown and the the impact of coronavirus uh, on the impact that that is having on people's mental health. So, uh, I watched a really good uh, YouTube video that was Maggie Alfonsi interviewing Shauna Brown and Deborah Fleming and that was very much about race in rugby and particularly in the women's game that they represent and i've had conversations with a lot of my ex-players or current players who i've coached over the years and we've discussed uh, the impact that the black lives matter movement has had on them and it's opened some really interesting discussions um, with me to them around what were their experiences in rugby and um yeah basically um, have they ever been? Uh, have they ever experienced racism? Have they ever experienced lack of opportunity um, as they've come through the sport? And then finally, talking around uh, mental health. So we we're really lucky at Old Ruts that we've got a head of happiness. So somebody who is in charge of the well-being and the mental health of all of our players, parents, coaches, volunteers, and her role I think has come kind of to the fore in terms of really needing to be there to support people during what's been a really unprecedented time and particularly at a time when people who were either already vulnerable or had the potential for being vulnerable um have really struggled during this time when maybe their usual support networks haven't been around them Uh, so it mainly inclusion and diversity for me, Um, but I'd really like to focus in, certainly from my perspective and my experience on, as grassroots rugby clubs, how can we be as open as we possibly can? So how can we understand people's backgrounds, uh, the experiences that they've had, the start in life that they've had, and how can we be as open as possible to make sure that we are as inclusive and diverse as we can be? and yeah, I've just heard some really good conversations around that. Um, one other talk I was listening to recently was uh, Warren Abrahams talking to James Bailey around the representation of, of black coaches that are currently within rugby. Um, so, yeah, I found it fascinating. And I've realised that although I feel like I quite a good grasp on certainly the experiences, of the players that I work with, I've never walked in their shoes. and Um, I I think I really need to educate myself more um, to make sure that I can provide the best service that I can for for all of our club members all of our players coaches parents and make sure that um, that we're really genuine um, and that we really provide an environment and and opportunities for them um, that are kind of not box ticking or token opportunity but they're really genuine and that people feel that rugby is a very safe sport for them and it's a sport where everybody is made to feel welcome.
0: Absolutely awesome, um, th- there's loads to unpick within that so straight away I've, I've, there's too many questions to ask but I'm really interested in the the head of happiness so can you explain to me how how you came up with that, What what is their kind of job spec, are, are they just the happiest person you've ever met? Um, what what do you do on the day that they're not feeling happy like there's there's lots in that so yeah if you can explain a little bit more about that that'd be awesome.
2: Well it actually began because the school that I work at I feel has an outstanding pastoral system and we have support systems in place um, to support pupils, staff um, and that role very much for me was something i felt we we needed within the rugby club Um, the statistics of the number of particularly young men who take their own lives um is shocking and we're i've always been involved in coaching the men's game i've coached a little bit of the women's game um, but having done a mental health first aid course with our head with our now head of happiness um, I was just shocked and and saddened really by um i suppose the way that we fail a lot of young people in terms of maybe not understanding that there is there are a lot of risk factors in people's lives and too often we denote behavior as being attention seeking rather than that more often than not being care seeking and i wanted to make sure that our rugby club was the first rugby club to be really open and honest in terms of starting to have conversations with players um, about mental health, getting them to understand that they can, if we're their trusted adults at the rugby club, that we're the people that they can come to. And I I felt that we really needed a robust system in place. So we employed Claire Jackson, who's our head of happiness. Um, She's our lead mental health nurse at school and she's a mental health first aid instructor. So we've run two courses within our club now um, and we've trained parents, volunteers, team managers, coaches, heads of section uh, to become mental health first aiders. And our, our overall target is to make sure that we've got as many mental health first aiders as you'd have physical first aiders. Um, and to make sure that that's really well publicized within our club, um, not only to our, our own members, but to also visiting teams. Because it could be that somebody from a a team, whether that's an under 12 up to a a senior player, that they could come to our club, they could see our notice board, they could feel like it's an environment where they can talk freely and openly and they might be experiencing a crisis and we could be the people that they end up having that conversation with. And and I just wanted to make sure that we put it out there that mental health is, we, we need to get rid of the stigma and discrimination around mental health. That for me is the most important thing. And we're only going to do that when we educate people and when we create an environment where people feel really safe and secure, that it's okay to not be okay. Um, So yeah, we we appointed a head of happiness because we wanted somebody who was going to very much be uh, our guide and somebody that could help us make sure that nothing was slipping through the net, that we weren't overlooking things that, May, might have been our opportunity to make an intervention and an intervention to somebody who's having a crisis could be as serious as the difference between life and death. And we wanted to make sure that um, we were gonna be a rugby club that made every single person who was part of that community and the wider rugby community feel that they, they always had somebody to turn to, that they were never on their own and that they should never feel any shame or embarrassment um, if they weren't feeling okay. Um, so that's how we we came to having a head of happiness. That's now, I would say, really impacted in that um, we've now got a, a confidential email address where people can email if they're having a crisis. Um, that email goes to the, the mental health first aiders. So there's always somebody that's gonna re- respond straight away. Um, she's been having face to face conversations um with players and coaches and and particularly parents who who are worried about their children and and sometimes it's the reassurance that actually that's just normal teenage behavior and that's quite normal and that's okay and and at other times it's been signposting um people to to seek professional help or to get further help um it's definitely not um It's definitely not about kind of providing a counselling service as such. That's, That's not what a mental health first aider is. It's just very much around making an environment where all of our players, parents, coaches and volunteers feel like there's always somebody that they can talk to. They're never on their own
0: genuinely that's incredible uh, i think there's so much in there that clubs could could learn from um and take on board and and as you said just just being in a position where you are valuing every single player and and yeah it's it's staggering that you'd have to talk in those terms in term, you know life and death but actually that that is what people are experiencing every day so um that's that's pretty it's, phenomenal
3: yeah
2: it's really worrying that suicide claims more male lives than car crashes alcohol drugs and cancer put together
0: yeah that's mind-blowing isn't it yeah what's briefly what's the what's the feedback been like from the players how have they how have they found it
2: um it's been really interesting i think there's still um, particularly among boys and men there is still very much a stigma around don't talk about your problems or actually if you've got a problem just go and neck 10 pints and then it'll all go away um <laughs> so we're having to try and break that down but the, the The most positive thing for me has been the number of senior players that have come forward to ask to go on that course because they want to be able to support their fellow players and they want to be able to support younger players within the club and and our new club captain was the first one to put his hand up and say I want to go on this course. Um, He has stated openly that he wants to become the senior player ambassador so somebody that players know they can come to and talk about their, their problems with. Um, and for me, that's that's where it starts. It's you, you never. We don't want a revolution. We just want um, to create an environment where everybody feels safe and, and happy to talk about any issues that they might be having. And 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 that can be a really delicate balance. That can be something that you've got to get everybody's buy into because it would only take one person to make one flippant comment. Um, undo a lot of that good work and and that genuine goodwill so so far the, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive and the impact that's had, that's had on some of our young players particularly when you think about those that have lots of risk factors around them in terms of that could be parents separating that could be um, siblings with long-term illnesses it could be having difficulties at school um, special education needs that kind of thing that those those kids like you just can't be a club that says oh that's never going to happen to us or oh we don't have those people in our club everybody does Um, it's it's about recognizing and spotting the risk factors and and the warning signs um, and I, th- I think the most powerful kind of feedback that I got was when Claire went onto the pitch at the end of um, an under 16 game, uh, old ruts playing against Tunbridge Judians, And we spoke to the opposition coaches. We told them about her role and she actually got both teams together on the pitch and she was standing there and she looked tiny compared to this, these kind of massive under 16 kids um, who just kind of knocked 10 bells of, you know, what out of each other for, for, for 70 minutes and, um, and she spoke to all of them and basically just told them that it was okay to feel unhappy or sad for a little period of time but if that goes on for a longer period of time then that's not okay and to speak to each other. She gave them really amazing tips about noticing if Friends start to withdraw from sport or if people stop going out as much or stop communicating as much and for young people that's so important because she was kind of almost giving them the tools to recognize when their own friends might be struggling and to give them the confidence to to say actually go up to that person and say are you okay i've noticed that you're you're not as involved anymore i've noticed you've not come to training as much is everything okay now, how many sixteen-year-old boys would potentially have said that unprompted, or to think, "Oh, well, so and so a bit withdrawn, so I'll just ignore him because he's probably got stuff going on." And and I, I've just found it really useful. And and the feedback from those are under sixteen players and the opposition players was just incredible, and their parents as well saying, "What a great service um, that that should be happening more." And so what we want to try and do at Ruts is is create almost create a blueprint where We can say in a real simple document or in a real simple conversation, this is what we're doing and this is how easily you can replicate it. Because for me, I hate it when clubs have a really good idea and then they hide all of the information about it or they want to be really secretive about it. This is something that I want to shout from the rooftops because I think if we can get every club in the country to do this we are going to make a massive impact on on the mental health of young people and 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 older people as well this is for our senior players this is for our parents our coaches this is irrelevant of age mental health doesn't discriminate on race religion age um, gender it's something that we we all need to be aware of and talk about more
0: 100%. Uh, jess maria i can see you both scribbling furiously at various stages any questions for anastasia
3: Yeah. So I had one just in terms of the the name of Head of Happiness. So um, I know you kind of touched up on it a little bit, but certainly like I've heard of like wellbeing officers and and other names for it. Was there a reason kind of behind Head of Happiness?
2: Um, You can probably credit Russell Earnshaw for that because I was talking to him about the role and and we were talking about, you know, a very typical director of wellbeing and something like that. And he just went, wow, Head of Happiness. That's the coolest job in the world. Um, And I just thought, Oh, actually, no. That is a really cool name. So it it just came about from a conversation with him, to be honest. And yeah, I I think the more I thought about it, the more I just thought I don't want this to be a stuffy title. I don't want this. I don't want somebody to think this is just a role on a committee that we've put in place. Um, this is this is something that kind of has quite an impact, as you say. It's the thing that stands out, and everyone goes, "A oh, what? You've got a who?" And so that in itself is a conversation starter. So I think that's why we stuck with that in the end.
3: Yeah. And I think immediately as well, it it asks questions and you you think, well, that sounds exciting rather than, uh, you know, wellbeing officer is, you know, we all know the reasons for having one and it's, they're very similar to head of happiness, but head head of happiness to me is just like, oh, it's just so exciting. And it's like, who is it? Um, You know, as Phil said, are they the happiest person on on the planet to, to do that? So it just asks more questions, doesn't it? And I suppose removes part of that stigma that you're talking about as well
2: definitely and i want it to be a role that's seen as something positive so we're not putting this in place because we're reacting to a problem we're putting this in place because for me prevention is so much better than cure and we want all of our players we want everyone involved in our club to be happy and i think inherently that's what everybody wants in life so what better than to have somebody that can be your go-to they can just be somebody that just nudges you in the right direction or gives you a tiny bit of advice and we're just we're going to do things like have beer mats that say you're not you're not on your own or supports closer than you think and so people just see those subtle messages around the club and and all those subtle messages put together will hopefully make people realize that actually there's nothing to be ashamed of and they can talk freely they can talk openly and most importantly we we didn't just want the head of happiness role a that would have been too much for claire on her own we've got over a thousand members that would have been a massive responsibility um so we straight away said right let's run these mental health first aid courses let's get as many people as possible because it might be that a, a child or an adult wants to talk to somebody they know and trust it might be that they want to talk to a complete stranger um in, and therefore, having a range of people available male female old young that that for me is a really important part of it so they they can they then have a choice as to who they decide to talk to
1: so so one of the things um we're currently doing at our club is i think we're we're light years behind you, but we're sort of trying to make those steps in in mental health, so I sent round an anonymous survey um um to all sort of the senior coaches, volunteers and players at the club. And it most of the feedback came back um, and I was really pleased with that. Most of the feedback came back from the senior men and the senior male players and they were really keen to get involved. And I sort of then felt well I've got then the automatic buy-in to whatever we then decide to roll out because the attitude is is clearly there and there's and there's clearly a, a want um and a need to provide something at the club and to provide a safe environment. Um, and when the answers came back they wanted to feel like there was a safe space um, and that they could walk into the club and that it felt like a safe environment for if they ever felt the need to raise something they could raise it within their rugby club and they felt like it was a safe environment to do so Um, and one of the things just sort of broadening sort of the inclusion and and diversity conversation I was really keen last year at my club to set up a a period box full of tampons and period goods that that people would need Um, specifically I had it in in mind for somebody that was struggling with period poverty Um, but then I broadened that to say if you haven't got a tampon and you're caught short and you're a member of the opposition or you're the referee or you're one member of the club please feel free to go in the box and just play something and if you remember the club just then replenish it if you've got the funds next time to do it and I think I've been thinking about how we can improve that as a club um, because I read an article I think it was yesterday um, or it might have been early this morning that lockdown has increased period poverty um, by an extraordinary amount and women are resorting to using I think cotton wool buds or I think one of the ones I read was quite horrific was tea towels. Um, and I can't imagine a woman or a girl, whether she's player, coach, volunteer, referee, walking into my rugby club and discovering that a, she's on her period and she can't afford anything or for whatever reason, she just hasn't got the supplies that she needs in her bag. And she's got to resort to a bit of toilet roll to then go out onto the pitch. Um, so it's great that we've got the box um but I think like you said about the mental health I'm just now looking for ways to try and make that next step up so that we really it really becomes something that the whole club buys into and we really shout about um so I sort of wanted to sort of pick your brains on on that really I think it sounds
2: like you're doing an amazing job with that I think as you say it's it's just raising people's awareness isn't it um One of the things for me about inclusion and diversity, whatever issue we might be talking about, is are we being as open as we can and are we thinking about other people's experiences? So often we only look at the world through our own eyes and that can often mean that we we can say things like, oh, that problem doesn't exist in our club or "Oh, we don't have anybody that has experienced that in our club. how how often do we have those conversations with people how often do we really open ourselves as an organization to say okay we might think as a committee that we're doing things really well what do what do people say about us so you having an anonymous survey is fantastic because that is your way of gaining other people's insight and for me the best way um to be genuine is to challenge things so challenge the way you do things this as soon as you stop challenging things you're you're basically trying to say to yourself that everything you do is perfect and in the same way that as a coach you'd never say that's it i'm never going on another coaching course because i know everything there is to know why as individuals would we would we do stuff like that in in the wider part of running our club so whether that's being whether that's having um, mental health first aiders, whether that's having um, a, a period box, whatever that might be, um, don't wait for it to become an issue. Um, I think prevention is always better than cure. And I think ca- how, how much can we break down stig- stigma and discrimination? Um, how much can we make ourselves as aspirational as possible? Um, how often is there unconscious bias Going on uh, in our organization. Um, That's something for me that lots of organizations need to look at. Um, It sounds, I always want to have role models in place, and it sounds like you're being an absolutely fantastic role model, which other people will then want to follow, and that can create real change. Um, And yeah, just think it's having opportunities for people, it's it's having understanding, um, understanding different people's backgrounds um and and then recognizing there will be barriers to participation for some people and that could be as extreme as a mental health issue or um, an issue with sexuality is somebody's reason for for not coming to their rugby club in the same way as it could be race or religion but in in the same sense could a female stop playing rugby because they feel like that club doesn't understand the issues of i can't play when i'm on my period because I can't afford what I need to to be able to play. So those kind of things, it's that understanding, how can I help you? And if we ask that question enough across broad enough topics, then I think we're really gonna get somewhere and we're really gonna affect change. So I think you're doing all the right things. Um, Just keep challenging yourselves, keep being genuine and asking yourself as an organisation, what's our responsibility? What is our responsibility to our members? um and and often i'm not sure whether people put enough emphasis on themselves to have to take that responsibility as an organization because that's quite a brave thing to do actually
0: i I think it probably just shows actually how how rugby clubs get caught up just looking at the rugby you know you know that the the, how many have we got training and the lights and the grass and and all the just the mechanics of actually getting teams out playing the game you you it's very easy to forget about the lives of the people and the challenges they face and, and all this type of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I, it's a great conversation. And as you said, I definitely think it's, it's one we need to to expand and, and have in more detail with, with more people in the clubs in which we operate. So superb. Uh, Maria, we are going to come to you. What, uh, what were you looking at this week?
3: Yeah. So mine's all around coaching Mavericks. So this was a webinar on the, the UK coaching, um, kind of website as part of their curious coaches club and so I found these webinars really useful because um, they're not always rugby specific so it just kind of helps you understand different sports and then um, obviously try and challenge yourself to relate it back to to rugby or the sport that you're coaching in and so the, the first thing that they they spoke about was what a maverick actually was and I think I kind of went in with my biases and I thought it was a really positive thing I think uh, if I was told I was a Maverick coach or a Maverick player then it's really positive but I, and I also understand the other uh, the kind of the flip side opinion which is is that sometimes uh, a Maverick can be negative or can have kind of negative connotations as well so in terms of like what a Maverick is um, they they kind of gave a de- definition which was all around um, a Texan lawyer so I think his name was Samuel Augustin Maverick um, and it was all around um, him owning uh, owning a ranch, and he refused to brand his cattle, so he just let them run free. So unbranded cattle became known as mavericks, um, and that just kind of meant independently minded. But I suppose that doesn't always that doesn't really relate to sport. Um, so I, I asked Google. So um, I went on to a dictionary website um, and just put in maverick. Uh, And and the kind of definition that came out was if you describe someone as a maverick, you mean that they are unconventional, independent and do not think or behave in the same way as other people. Um, And then I kind of looked at a thesaurus. So I just used a synonyms um, kind of checklist and the, the synonyms used for mavericks were rebel, radical and individualist. So again, like they're quite negative sounding words. So... Uh, again, that just made me think um because I again I had that positive um, mindset around around Mavericks. Um and, and after the webinar I also Googled um Maverick rugby players um and the kind of the players that came up, which um well I kind of asked you guys after after I finished as well who you thought would, would come up, but they were mostly fly halves or, or outside backs. And we'd come
0: um, we before you tell us.
3: Yeah, of course, yeah. Cool. So who do you think kind of popped up?
0: Two, two would jump out for me. I'd say Cipriani and Quade Cooper.
2: Yeah, I would. I had Cipriani um, definitely on that list, but I would probably yeah. throw in the mix somebody like Kyle Sinclair, um, ha- having coached him as a youngster. Um, definitely, just I think has maybe started a bit of a revolution in terms of what what a prop can do and and can be allowed to do. And as you say. Is it a positive or a negative? Um, some would say he should stick to to his position, but other people would say he's going to create things that other props wouldn't. So I totally agree. It's it's a really fascinating topic.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Sips is is obviously a, a definite. But adding to sort of the prop club, I probably list Ellis Genge on there. Um, not just for his sort of work on the pitch, but so I think he's ah uh, making waves as a maverick off the pitch as well.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting, and I suppose uh, I don't know if because the most recent position I've played is fly Maybe I've got a bias around um, backs because my certainly my my two were were Danny Cipriani and uh, Freddie Burns as well. Um, and I think there's there's been a little bit of press around him leaving to Japan and how English rugby and um, has never got on with Mavericks and you know why isn't somebody like him and and Cipriani who have you know, done some amazing things in club rugby and have changed some games. Why haven't they got more caps? Um, so, yeah, and and what Google told me, the, the top three were uh, Finn Russell, Freddie Burns, and then Danny Cipriani. Um, so those were the, the, the top three. But it was also, uh, Saracen's Mavericks is also a netball team, so that came up. Um, so that kind of blurred the lines a little bit. And it's also a rugby club as well. Um, so there were a few photos of, there of them as well. Um, so yeah, so it kind of just got me to think, and um I guess as a coach, it's something that it potentially you welcome Mavericks because they're creative and they think differently and they challenge you, and that's exciting. Um, or it's something that you hate because you want people to play the way that you see and um fit the kind of this the the way that you want to play as a, a team or a club. Um so I think that was kind of something to to think about. Um and then the kind of last thing that they mentioned was around this idea of high autonomy um, and high alignment so um, high autonomy and low uh, sorry high alignment and low autonomy is kind of all about um, you know you've got so you've got a player that conforms to the way that you play doesn't necessarily ask questions doesn't um, challenge your thinking as a coach um, or challenge the way that you want to play um, so are they limited so are they limited in growth and you know when they leave your environment have they got better as, as a player or have they just got better at playing your way um and then the second thing was the, the high autonomy and low alignment so potentially what a maverick is is you know somebody that that played a really exciting way is potentially got a bigger ego is is really confident in their own ability but has low alignment to your team so you know do they break boundaries do they Um, Do they conform to the way that you play or do they have a different interpretation? Um, So it was a really interesting webinar and I definitely encourage uh, anyone that feels like they've got a Maverick in their club to listen to because it really kind of helped me think about um, what my boundaries are when coaching a Maverick Um, and also it made me think whether I was a a Maverick coach as well uh, and if I was a Maverick player so um, it was a really really good um webinar and definitely something that that's transferable to rugby
2: so i've i've got i mean I find stuff like that fascinating anyway because having never played rugby before um i i have i basically was the physio and so I learned from watching and I came from a very different sport in high board diving, which was very technical um very based on this is what you do, this is how you do it, you're judged out of 10, this is what you're gonna get marks for and so on. Um, But I suppose the overriding theme that comes across to me there is, and I guess it relates to the autonomy side of things, um, everybody kind of has their own picture and image in their head of how they want the game to be played. Um, And that's normally as a result of the way they've been coached themselves or the way they enjoy the game or what they feel their super strengths are and what they want to bring to the game. But I think what I found um, particularly being involved in schoolboy rugby and very much at grassroots level is I think everybody is just overwhelmingly obsessed with results. So if you're obsessed with results, does that impact your openness to the idea of a maverick? Because if somebody wants to do something completely differently, then surely you're, you're only kind of, Obstacle to that would be, oh, well, does it fit into the way we want to do things? Uh, Does it fit in with our ethos and that kind of thing? But I think ultimately, and correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, so often players and coaches are obsessed with results. Whereas I would be happy to coach a team uh, irrelevant of the results. If I, help, if I thought it was making them better players. So if somebody came up and said, oh, I want you to coach this way, I want you to do, play this game or allow them to do this or scrap all positions and everybody just does whatever they want, that would be pretty kind of far, far out there. And, and a lot of people would be really resistant to that. But are they just resistant to it because they're not sure of the impact that it's going to have on their results or they're not sure whether people are going to leave their club because... They're scared of it. Is is it that kind of unknown that that frightens them?
3: Yeah, I think the idea of having a maverick on your team, again, with my my bias of it being a positive thing, is is that they can change a game for you. So talking about the results, kind of based um, coaches, or um, when you've got an objective to win a game, um, you know, these these really creative players, these maverick players, they're high risk, high reward. They what they could do on a pitch is win you the game but the same action could also lose you the game so it's whether you're willing to take that risk i suppose as a coach and and i think i think the other thing to to think about is just to understand what their their point of view so understand why they're making those decisions try and understand what they're seeing um, because you might be missing something and i think that's that you know i think that's really key in terms of just having those conversations and being curious about how they see the game Um, and kind of see what you can take away from their learnings yeah and i think sometimes it's
2: difficult isn't it because if you have a maverick in your team then do you rely on everybody else understanding or kind of anticipating what that maverick's going to do or do you put the emphasis on that maverick to say actually you can do whatever you want um but try and communicate it so that everyone else knows what you're going to do or do you try and get them to share their experiences so that you potentially create more mavericks? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think of a maverick as a pos- as a positive thing. Um, for me, if I could coach a team full of mavericks and have other coaches that are mavericks, that would be my kind of ideal. Um, but then I've never kind of really been focused on how important a result might be. It's more. Is everyone having fun and are people being given the freedom? So yeah, I absolutely love that idea. And I think I think you should go full maverick when you play for sure.
3: Yeah. The 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 thing that they spoke about, and I think one of the key takeaways that, that I took from that webinar was that if a player affects either safety learning or respect, then that's an issue. But if they don't do that, then they're not doing anything wrong. And you know. Any player, that's all they want. So they want to learn, they want to have respect from their teammates and obviously they need to be working within a safe environment. So as long as a player isn't affecting any of those three things, um, then I think, as you say, it's great to have uh, as many creative players as possible uh, and how we can support them is, I guess, another question.
1: So I'm I'm curious, because you said you've got um, a positive bias or a positive leaning towards Mavericks. I'm just sort of trying to imagine... A scenario where let's say you were co-coaching and you've got um, a Maverick on your team and you've got a positive bias how would you deal with it or how would you approach it if your
3: co-coach had a negative bias? Um, so I think it, it's kind of that understanding um, the other person's point of view so understanding why they potentially have a negative um, um, perception over that player so um, that has happened this season we've had a player that um so so does two things so is a second row that kicks so she has a really big boot on her she'll kick for touch she'll it's also her get out so if she's doesn't want to pass or doesn't want to carry or she's tired she'll just boot the ball and sometimes it works a dream and then sometimes it's it's the wrong option or it's it's perceived to be the wrong option and i think that that was quite frustrating for some of the other coaches and i think then i think the second thing was um she always went for, a, for an intercept, so she'd always shoot out the line, always go for the intercept. Again, high risk, high reward. She does that a couple of times. She gets a, she gets a try or she sets up a try and it, it swings the game. But then on the other hand, she, she does that and they get the pass away or the opposition work that out. Then uh, then it's a try against us and it can also swing the, the game the other way around. So, so I mean, what we did is we you know we sat down with her and tried to and get her to understand our point of view uh, or the, the, the kind of the coach's point of view and potentially what the opposition could see if she does that. So if if they learn that a couple of players jump out of the line, what does that then mean for the opposition? Well, they're just going to tip the ball or they're just going to an extra pass or they'll miss pass over her. So um, getting her to understand the bigger picture of what could go wrong. Cause I think the other thing is, is that if nothing goes wrong for you as a player, you're going to keep doing the same thing because nothing ever affects you. And, you know, if nothing bad happens to you, then you've had positive feedback and, um, you're going to keep going with them with those kind of skills or attributes that you've got. Um, and then the second thing is, is turn that, turn that into the reason why we select you. So your second row that can kick, that's, that's brilliant. And the distance that you get, um, especially in the women's game, that's, that's brilliant. So keep that as one of your strengths, work on it, work with us in terms of your decision-making and and when to kick um and then um you know and just be kind of more creative with them that way so i think use it getting them to understand that it can be a strength of theirs and you know creativity or being a maverick is often why you pick that player as well um so i think just just going back to your the question just to make sure that i've answered it um is is that just having the conversation with the co-coach um giving both sides of the story giving both sides of the player highlighting when things do go well um, and the potential that that player can have if kicks or, you know, is doing something that is potentially perceived as kind of out of the box thinking.
0: Do you think that ultimately comes down to our ability or inability as a coach to manage or work with that player? So if if there's a player in our team and, and you're pretty comfortable in, in your relationship with them and you're excited by how they play and everything else, would, would you necessarily class that player as a maverick or are they just a talented player? Whereas if if I'm struggling and I don't have a relationship with that player and I'm not a big fan of how they play, can, can I then start to shift that narrative to, all oh, they're a maverick, they don't align with other people. So again, we we can deem that as a negative, but I do just wonder, does it ultimately sit with, us as coaches and the lens in from kind of through which we view that player.
3: Yeah. And I think that was one of the the things that I reflected on from the webinar is, is that is there a difference between just being a creative player and being a Maverick? Because I think Maverick, a Maverick is more than that. I think they challenge not only, so we've talked a lot about on pitch actions, but they also challenge the off the pitch um, actions. So, you know, behaviors of the club, culture, um you know does that go into gym and and c kind of things their nutrition their kind of lifestyle i think all of all of that kind of goes into being a maverick so it's not just being a creative player um i think you know there there is a fine line but i think a maverick is probably um kind of more than just being a creative player
0: it's interesting i think this got discussed on twitter And uh, obviously the last dance being a a big thing recently, Dennis Rodman came up and, you know, got referred to as a maverick. And and my question was actually, as much as Rodman was, and I actually, I think I used the term flamboyant, as much as he was deemed a maverick off off the, the kind of the court, if you looked at him and, and in the interviews when he's speaking, he says he spent hours and hours and hours studying the flight of a ball. He, he knew the shot, you know, the arcs of the shot people would take. He knew how he was going to get rebounds. And it just struck me as I, I didn't watch basketball. I wouldn't know enough to be able to say whether he played like a maverick, but actually it struck me that he was a really solid player in a team that had probably more flamboyant or or maverick, you know, individuals but but, do we then conflate the two and go, well, he he was just a maverick, when actually, what he did on the court was was really technical and really driven, but he just loved having fancy hair and and all the other things that went with him and spending a week in Vegas and all that you know those famous stories. and And I just wonder, actually, do we start to confuse the two and maybe then make something that that again, it's context, but it's not necessarily true?
2: i mean i i would have a question because i was thinking of exactly the same thing i was thinking of dennis rodman when um as soon as you were talking about that maria um my i suppose my question to challenge that is so when we were all asked who would we name as our mavericks do we think they're mavericks as a result of the coaching they've received or the environment that they've been in uh,
3: i think um just with the the dennis Rodman example um i've not watched all of last dance yet so um so maybe not seen the the full story yet but i think you know with that week away in vegas it seems like certainly from what i've seen so far is exactly what he needed and the coach understood that and probably didn't agree with it to start with but the managing of that player was so effective that a week in Vegas to, to us as onlookers going, I can't believe you're letting a, a basketball player go to Vegas and have a week doing, you know, in this knows what, um, you know, all the time then. Yeah. But I think the, the, mani- the the managing of that player was really, really effective. Uh, and I think, you know, when he gets back from Vegas or, you know, when he did get back, how effective was he then on the court? How did he perform? um, I've not actually seen that episode yet, so he might he might not have performed, but I'm guessing that he performed pretty well and um you know attributed to to their success.
0: Yeah, I think he was pretty hungover, but I do seem to remember he did pretty well. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I guess answering Anastasia's point is is it a combination of the two? Uh Cipriani's always always the one, and and you could say what he does. I think interesting, if you compared Cyprian and George Ford, I think some of the stuff they do is probably very similar. I guess what you don't get with George Ford is the the nights out and the celebrity nature that has maybe been there previously. And, and so I think one can get classed as a steady Eddie and, you know, or they only do this stuff. And then this other one develops this reputation through social media or, you know, the sports media or whatever it is as being this, again, this bigger, this character that's got way more going on, whereas I think if you went with a really detailed analysis, I'm not sure there'd be a huge difference in what they're able to deliver on the field. I don't know that Cipri... There's a couple of kicks I can think of, but I don't think he does anything that is... It's world-class, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying that, but I don't think he is... I don't think he's doing it anything that other players aren't capable of doing but we seem to hold him in that that he has this aura of no one else could possibly do that which I'm really interested in in how we develop that and is that just an is it a narrative is it a true narrative a false narrative is it just the context in which we hold those players yeah I don't know probably way more
3: questions than answers there and you've got to create an environment haven't you to to enable players to thrive and if one of that if one of your players is a maverick and um, you know at that next level then you've got to try and uh, create the environment to to help them um so i think as a coach it just got me to think about um you know how i can help players um of that ability a little bit more and um you know just enabled me to reflect on on my practices in terms of um creating that environment
0: love it. That's, again, we could go on forever on this. Is it's? Uh, there's, I guess there is no right answer. Just that that willingness and that openness to to try and manage your players as best you can to get the best out of them, and, and an environment is going to be absolutely crucial to do that. So superb, uh, Jess. We're going to come across to you. What were you looking at?
1: So I watched the Magic Academy webinar on Wednesday on IDPs uh, with Fletch, Rusty, and. Aidan McNulty who's a coach over at Ulster um, and I wanted to pick this one because I have binge watched as many webinars and I've done as many e-learning courses from the RFU as you can possibly do during lockdown because um, otherwise I'd go mad. So I've been a real sort of student of, of learning and upskilling myself but I don't think I've learn how to learn properly or apply that through my idp Um, so in previous sort of iterations of my idp it's been very static it's been on a notepad and then the notepad or the piece of paper has just got lost or forgotten or borrowed at the bottom of my rucksack or and it's gone and I've never really revisited it I've just sort of like checkpoint done I've written my IDP and now I can get on with the actual stuff of setting the cones out and coaching people and you know doing the practicalities of of the job so I really felt that I sort of owed it to myself after all the learning that I'd done to to go back and sort of and and watch the IDP and it just sort of happened at the right right time Um, and to watch this webinar and sort of one of the first questions uh, that was asked was they sort of picked the idp as sort of their next focus as the magic academy because they wanted to sort of ask the question of how do we gamify an idp so obviously the magic academy guys are all about gamification um and how that can be a real area of learning for players um but actually can we gamify an idp and make it not just a learning point for players, um, because as coaches, we probably focus a lot of time on player IDPs and not enough time on our own. But equally, how can we gamify a coach's IDP and really make it a a fluid thing rather than just something that's static? Um, And I don't really have an answer to that yet. I I think Rusty came up with one that you could put into practice on a coaching session that had some levels to it. Um, So I think level one was sort of asking players... How could you best interact with them? And each level sort of slowly went up until you went into boss level, which I think was on the car ride on the way home, only having sort of positive responses from yourself and not just immediately resorting to sort of negative feedback in your own brain. And I so I don't immediately sort of have an answer to that, but what sort of struck me was actually how when they presented their IDPs, it was filled with colour and filled with pictures and possibly just filled with a lot more possibilities than than just sort of writing it down on notepad as I had been doing Um, and one of the things that sort of struck out for me that I, I haven't been doing well is creating a good support network for myself so I've probably got I think Twitter and lockdown have helped me grow my support network more as a coach but I probably haven't I've probably done like a little bit of an instant reach out and then think again, like the IDP job done, I've reached out to somebody, I've got a support network, I can just leave it there. Instead of again, making the conversation a little bit more fluid and a little bit reactive. Um, So I suppose one of my key learning points as a result of this is to not be afraid of making an IDP or having a conversation about my development that is a bit more fluid. Um, and not knowing what the result may be at the end, rather than trying to predict what the result will be, and then trying to cater the IDP towards that result, if that makes sense.
2: How how often um, do you video yourself coaching, and is that something that you've done previously?
1: So it's not something that I have done. I think they've videoed me coaching during match days as just part of their match day footage, but at the moment we don't have access I currently don't have access to, to the tech to do it. It's one of the things I'm trying to get sorted for myself this season, because aside from hating the fact that, you know, everybody hates their own voice. um, I predict that I probably say the wrong things or can improve on the things that I say. I probably say unlucky a lot more than I ought to. Um, And I think if we had a game where I and the team took a shot every time I said good stuff during a training session, just as a sort of an offhand positive comment, we'd probably be very drunk very quickly. Um, so I'm I'm aware of the improvements I've, or predi- again, predicting some of the improvements that need to be made. Um, but I know it's an opportunity that I, that I need to do, even if it's just a phone and maybe I just record the audio as I'm walking around and, and have that as an alternative, but I know it's something I need to do.
2: Yeah, I found it really kind of probably one of the most profound things um, as part of my level three was you have to video yourself doing these sessions. And, and I was so blissfully unaware of half of the things that I was saying while I was coaching. And um, I think having a mentor is really important. So having somebody that's that you really trust, um, whose opinion you kind of really value and, and appreciate and, and feel is going to move you in the right direction. Um, but then I guess it goes back to Maria's point, doesn't it? Is, I suppose how maverick do you want to be? Um, and within your IDP, um, yeah, ha- how much do you want to conform? How much are you constricted by the environment that you're in? Um, and actually where do you get your maximum enjoyment from? And use your gamification to to just increase your, your levels of potential enjoyment or the potential enjoyment of your players based on what you decide to do as a coach. Um, So could you, I suppose, could we maybe marry the two topics up in terms of, yeah, Maverick IDPs and a bit of gamification around, yeah, how rogue can we go um,
0: and it still look like rugby? Jess, how much do you you kind of share... The IDPs you've done to date. How much do you share that with your co-coaches and and the people kind of in that immediate support network, or, or even the players, so they're actually having those conversations back to you. You know, as coaches, I think we always look at it as a it's a two-way process. But we're going to ask players what they think, and then we're going to give them our thoughts as well. But actually, how often do we flip that and go, "Well, these are my work ons as a coach. I need you guys to be reviewing me, and then you're going to tell me, and then I'm going to offer." you know that feedback again on on myself based on your comments so I always think that's an interesting element of of kind of making that IVP a tangible I think when it lives on paper it's really difficult actually it becomes a living thing if you're constantly talking about it because the players are engaged or your other coaches are engaged in that feedback process every session almost yes yeah, so
1: I've I've made some steps towards the end of last season. So my IDP is shared with with one of my co-coaches um, and it's also shared with my local CRC who I do some co-coaching with, in schools with. Um, and they've both been really supportive towards development. I've also have reached out to some players and asked feedback, but I probably have asked the players where I, I know their answers are going to be positive um, and probably haven't really pushed myself I imagine, like most of us at one point during our journey, haven't pushed myself towards those players where I'm like, "Oh, I'm unsure what they're going to say to me," or "I know this is going to be negative because I know I haven't like hit them at the points they needed to be at the training session today." Um, So I probably haven't. I've probably gone fifty percent of where I feel I need to be, um, and I've not made that complete leap. And I think it's just a question of just. Again, not predicting what the outcome is going to be and just sort of leaping into the unknown, um, which is, um, you know, um, scary. But I think uh, I sort of need to need to flip it on the head. I think like most of us do in our in our development and and just sort of take the leap into the unknown with excitement.
0: And that's interesting, isn't it? Do, Do we consider as coaches... Potentially, how you're feeling there in saying that it's scary. That when we offer feedback and sit down with players, they're genuinely thinking the same thing, and and that that's something I I really struggle to that empathy bit to be sat in their shoes, going, would I be comfortable and happy with what Phil's sat there talking to me about now? How would that make me feel? It's just kind of automatic as a coach, but yeah, it's a great point about how how we might flip that round.
1: Yeah, I I know um, obviously as coaches we are in positions of power and trust, Um, so obviously we have to be careful about how we give our feedback and and assess sort of how perhaps fragile that player will be about certain areas of feedback Um, or they might already be overly self-critical themselves so we might have to say load it, front load it with positives, overly load it with positives. but I think equally I've been perhaps more afraid of going to players because I hold that position of power and trust. And I don't, I don't think I want to be seen as too vulnerable um, because then will you then lose their respect if you go and ask them for feedback? Um, So I think that's why I've only resorted to sort of living in the, in the players echo chamber and sort of only asking those players um, who I know are going to receive positive feedback. I think, Towards the latter end of this season, February, I did have some difficult conversations with players around their expectations of training, um, didn't meet up with sort of the standard that they wanted, um, or didn't always meet up, they wanted to do something different, and I think having that difficult conversation with them made me realise that it wasn't what I was doing, but it was the way I was communicating what I was doing to them, so they didn't fully understand the purpose of it so something I changed towards the the maybe about the February time is we've got a whiteboard in our in our training room and I normally put up what's going to happen in the training session um this is what it's going to look like and then some positive comments and then normally some dates key info they need to remember um because they're a bunch of students so their brains are, are somewhat uh somewhat chaos so I put up some dates for them um and after that difficult conversation, I looked back and I reflected on how I was communicating the session, and could I communicate it more effectively? Um, so I completely scrapped the the whiteboard writing because it, it was becoming like an essay each with each session, and I simply limited myself to putting down about three to four themes that the that the training session would be structured around, so they could literally walk into the training session going okay, we're doing contact positioning, we're doing catch pass, and we're doing uh, mental fitness. And then they know immediately what the key work-ons are of the session, and it made it far more digestible. And as soon as I did that, I was hitting their expectations and what they wanted from the session. Um, and it wasn't getting lost in sort of player-coach jargon and just a bit of miscommunication.
0: Love that. You, you mentioned about... Um vulnerability and losing their respect do you think there's a the opportunity that actually showing more vulnerability may gain you more respect if that's not something that necessarily they they've seen too much of from you so far
1: yeah i think without a doubt and i think one of the the discussions i've had with other coaches is i've been obviously far more sort of nurturing and going need to let it down this is ladies coaching you need to be a little bit more vulnerable a bit more friendly than perhaps what you were used to so I'm I've probably done that classic case of I've been really good at giving advice out to other people and probably spotting it in other people and haven't sort of recognized it myself Um, and I suppose when I started my coaching journey a few years ago um, and that sort of transition from player to coach I had very strict expectations of what a coach should be based on previous coaching um, and I I think like everyone who's sort of transitioning from player to coach I thought I had to pigeonhole myself into that mold um this is what a coach is and this is how a coach should act um, and then slowly through my development sort of realized the breaking out of the mold and actually what I, how I coach, and, and how I want to coach is sort of completely different to to what I experienced.
0: That's that's it. And I wonder whether you, do do you just take that forward and and see how far you can, you can kind of take that diversification of of the coaching process, and maybe that's where you look for a mentor or somebody to that, that's very different to the mould that you saw coaching in, that actually can can kind of broaden that horizon. That would be that would be an awesome journey to go on
1: yeah it would i'm very much don't want to be aligned with the old school model if you like so so if i was to to set myself we discussed in the webinar and i and i popped a question up about sort of if you could sort of imagine an idp from the past of your past coaching development and an idp from your sort of future coaching development what would they look like and i think my past idps would look very structured that also that old coaching school model and i think sort of future wise it looks maybe just to, to steal the buzzword of the night buzz phrase maverick coaching or it's creative coaching and i don't think i've embraced that side enough um i have two art degrees so i've got a creative bone in my body i know how to to react and adapt and to explore things creatively and i've probably just parked it and, and ought to let that filter through a little bit more so i think uh I might paint or make a sound sculpture out of my next IDP, make it into an artwork.
0: That'd be pretty cool. That would be very cool. Well, definitely, uh, definitely throw that out there once you've uh, you you've played around with that a little bit. Super. You're
2: such a maverick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: love it okay um we will now just do a quick rundown have you guys uh got any thoughts or anything you're looking at next week content wise that uh, that caught your eye and you're you've already signed up to or anything like that so uh maria we will come to you first
3: um i think the the thing that i'm going to be doing is watching the rest of the last dance i think i'm i'm way behind the trend aren't i so uh, i definitely need to catch up with that so i think that's what i'll be doing and and maybe you know reflecting on it a little bit more with them um, with my maverick hat on as well.
0: Love it, great stuff. It, it's seriously worth it. So yeah, enjoy that, uh, Anastasia. Anything that you uh, that you're signed up to or you're looking at next week?
2: Uh, Yeah, so a couple of things from me. One is that I really want to look at. um, I watched a film the other night. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it was about these three guys that climbed a mountain in Chile. Um, One of them stayed at the base camp, Um, two of them went up the mountain and as they succeeded in climbing the mountain, as they came back down, one of them fell into a massive, um, like it was part of a glacier, he fell into this massive crevasse. And he was rope he was attached by rope to the other guy. And the other guy knew that he'd either be pulled in with him or was going to have to cut him off. Um and uh, I mean, I won't give it away for anyone who's gonna watch it, um, but it was an incredible kind of story of how important and how um I suppose, yeah, really dominant like the spirit and the mental um kind of hope can be. So so I was definitely going to look into some stuff around resilience. And um, I know that's I'm not a big fan of the word resilience because I think it gets very overused at the moment. Um, but certainly around how can we create things that make players a bit more hungry um, for what they want, um, particularly working with school children, How do you teach them not to give up? um and then a really rogue one that i want to look more into um i i saw it on some of the analysis of the super rugby um that they're now talking about how many plays off nine how many plays off 10 and how many plays off 15 were there so really looking around kind of the language that we use as coaches and maybe to, going back to what maria touched on in terms of mavericks is do do players kind of have a, that unconscious bias of what they're supposed to do based on the, the name of their position or where they play on the pitch and um, as coaches can we change that so that the game looks different because we're not maybe pigeonholing them as much
0: superb uh touching the void is the film yeah there we go cool and uh, jess what uh, what are you looking at next week
1: so i am predictably probably going to be clued into any magic academy webinars that are happening but i've also bookmarked and promised myself that I will watch the Hillary Clinton documentary, which I think is on Sky and Now TV. Um, I think this was sort of pushed towards me sort of subconsciously through the work I've done on my IDP and realizing that I am a female coach. What does that mean for me? Does that mean anything different for myself? The fact that I am a woman who coaches, does that influence my IDP in any way? And I think because of the conversations we've recently been having about inclusion and diversity, I think in the trailer it's said that she is liked because she's unlikable. Um, and sort of what does that mean added on to the fact that she's a woman? And I think because she's sort of seen as this sort of trailblazing woman, she sometimes, does she get demonised? How did that affect her in a career? How did she cope with that? Um, around sort of leading a team when she was in the White House with Obama, but also leading a team around her, her elections. Um, and how did that affect her leadership skills? So I'm, I'm sort of really looking forward to that one.
0: Awesome, love that. Uh, I've got one, so it's called the Swan Cast. So it's uh, a couple of guys down at the Royal Artillery Club. Um, and they had a conversation with David Sharkey. So um, he's done quite a lot around storytelling and narratives and, and things within uh, within coaching. So that uh, that will definitely be one to, to pick up on. Is he um, he's a very gone guy. I've had a couple of conversations with him, and he's got a couple of blog posts around that. So if you're looking for for info on narrative and storytelling within coaching, then that is the place to go for this week. Superb. Uh, right, I will round up the roundup. Uh, we hope you find it useful. Thank you to. three guests for their superb insights links to all the content discussed will be shared in the podcast blurb please subscribe like and share and as we ride off into the sunset I'd like to wish you all the best stay safe and go well